is a province of Indonesia. He was a missionary there in western Papua from 1962 to 1977. So he returned to the States just before I was even born. Um, but he served there, and he and his wife went to a, a tribe called the Sawi people. While they were there on the island trying to reach the Sawi people, now the Sawi, something you need to understand about them is they were, they were, in that day and age, a headhunting cannibal tribe. And they, it's not even that the, the Sawi themselves were unified against the other countless tribes that were also cannibalistic and headhunting, but they would fight in and amongst themselves and be killing each other. And, and they would take the head and they'd do the shrunken heads and they'd, they'd notch their... Well, they didn't have belts because they didn't wear clothes. But uh, you get the idea. They, they were, this was not a, a friendly environment to be in. But the, the Richardsons went there and tried to reach these people with the gospel. No, no written word, no written language. So they had to go and learn the language phonetically. And he, I mean, this is really old school, trying to write it out phonetically, uh, figure out the language so that he could, in turn, work uh, in, on giving them a translation of God's word in their own language. But then he, of course, have to teach them that this, see, these little scribbles are what you're saying. Um, but anyways, he was, he, this was how he was learning the language, and he was writing and writing and writing. And then he, he would have these powwow times with, with the men of the tribe, and he would present to them portions of the Bible and Bible stories, and this is how he was, he was working through the, the life of Christ. And during one of these powwow sessions in teaching them about the, the life of Christ, he got to the point uh, of, in the story where Judas betrayed Jesus, and the people went crazy, and they started cheering, and they were thrilled. They they. They couldn't believe this level of treachery. And now Judas was their superhero, basically. You know, here in our culture this day and age, their superhero this, superhero that. Well, Judas was their superhero. Uh, Don Richardson didn't understand this at this point in, in his ministry and trying to reach these people. But to them... To, to reach the highest level of society, to be the most esteemed person, you had to beguile, befriend, beguile, and betray somebody, and ultimately, with that led to their death, you were the most esteemed person in the tribe, the person that could do that and do that well and, and, and totally fool the person into, into believing that you and I were close. I would never do this to you. No, we're brothers, and then I turn around and kill him or have him kill. I would be revered. And this was the culture. But he didn't understand this, the, all these dynamics yet. And, and when they went wild and crazy cheering on Judas, he was shocked. And he didn't know how to respond to that. He it, it, it made him question, how am I going to reach these people with the gospel? Well, I will share that at the end. But um, he wrote another book. 
after he came back to the United States called Eternity in Their Hearts. And that book, in the, towards the very beginning of that book, Don Richardson, and see what, what this did, his, his, his ministry with the Sawi tribe and, and how he finally was able to unlock the gospel to these people, ultimately sent him on a mission to study out cultures all around the globe, ancient cultures, uh, just, just to see how God had made himself known to all man, to every tribe, to every tongue. Um, and so this brings me to Eternity in Their Hearts, the book Eternity in Their Hearts. In, in Eternity in Their Hearts, Don Richardson shares the story of the Inca. Now this, this is getting much closer to home. See, uh, Bolivia is what used to be Alto Peru, High Peru, because we're, we're right there in the Andes Mountains. Much of Bolivia, uh, they call the High Plains there where the salt desert was, 12,000 feet. Well, now you're in the High Plains, and then you've got mountains that go way up over 20,000 feet. So you've got multiple levels of the country. Well, this was High Peru, and there in Peru, Ecuador, um, Bolivia, you've got this, this Inca, the Incan culture, it, it permeated South America. And the very first emperor of the Inca people was a man by the name of Pachacuti. Pachacuti's the emperor who's responsible for building the huge uh, ruins that people go and visit every year, uh, Cusco, Peru. Well, Pachacuti wrote... He was an educated man, hence he was emperor. He did, he, he did all sorts of writing. In the, in the Inca culture, and this is still prevalent today, there's much influence of this in Bolivia. It affects our ministry in Bolivia today. The Inca deity, the highest deity, they have multiple deities, but the highest deity in the Inca order is the sun. And the sun god's name is Inti, Inti Sol. Soul being son in Spanish nowadays. Um, Pachacuti was a worshiper of Inti. Yet, Don Richards in his studies uncovered others' research that had uncovered some hymn books. Now you would suspect Inca, Inti, and their other false gods, this, this, the hymns would be lifting up the name, the, the great name of, of the false god Inti. But, interestingly enough, these researchers found some songs singing praise to another deity by the name of Biracocha. And they were thinking, okay, so who is this Biracocha? And, and ultimately translated, Biracocha means the Lord, the omnipotent creator of all things. Well, that certainly sounds bigger than Inti, right? That's bigger than the sun. Well, more research followed, and what they found out was that not only did he sing praise to Biracocha, the Lord, the omnipotent creator of, of all things, who's above all other gods, but Biracocha was a triune god. He was one, but he was triune. He had a son, and he had a spirit, but he was one. And this hymn, or there are multiple hymns, were singing praise to Biracocha. This man is a, he was a pagan. It is likely he died without ever, there's, there is no record of, of anyone ever 
traveling with God's word and presenting the gospel to these people, ever. Yet somehow, this man had learned of, of a Godhead. And he, he in, in response to people questioning his, his loyalty to Inti, here's a, a translated quote from Pachacuti. It says, Inti cannot be universal if while giving light to some, he withholds it from others. He cannot be perfect if he can never remain at ease resting. Nor can he be all-powerful when the smallest cloud may cover him. God had revealed amazing, amazing truths to this pagan man. Truths about himself. And that's why he went ahead and, and entitled his book, Eternity in Their Hearts. See, God, God has revealed himself to all mankind. According to Romans 1, um, the passage, Romans 1, 18 to 23, well, verse 20 says, most people are very familiar with this, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Now, that's Pachacuti. He never, he never had God's word. There's still not a completed translation of the Bible in the Quechua language. That's the language of the, of the Inca. That, that language is still there in Bolivia today. When we lived out in western Bolivia, up in the Altiplano, or they, they, in a little bit lower than the Altiplano, Quechua people were everywhere. And they have Quechua portions of the Bible. So he never had the Bible, yet God had revealed himself, and he understood God's eternal power and Godhead. What's the very last phrase of that verse say? It says, so that they are without excuse. Pachacuti will stand before God without excuse. That brings me to our text. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he hath set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. There is nothing hid from God's glory. There is, there is nothing hid from mankind. We can see his handiwork everywhere we look. People that deny God, they're the first ones. Something bad happens in their lives. Oh, pray for me. Well, who, who are we praying to? This, the God that you say doesn't exist? Well, he exists in your time. And he, people that deny him aren't denying him. They're, denying, they're in denial to themselves because God has revealed himself. And his word says they are without excuse. So to me, when I read Psalm 19, I mean, it's a beautiful psalm, Psalm of David, declaring God's glory, uh, pointing us to his, to his handiwork, but to me, it says, wow, 
These first six verses, along with the passage in Romans 1, 18 through 23, all mankind is without excuse. And what are we doing about it? You know, this day and age, it's amazing. I've got this Bible, and I just, I just picked this one up for my brother's house. We have stuff all over the place. We don't have a house. We don't have a home anywhere. Uh, I guess our home would be Bolivia. So I've got Bibles in Bolivia. I've got Bible. I have this Bible at my brother's house. I just got it. I was traveling with my other little Bible, and I've got, I've got a Bible here, and I've got a Bible here, and I, we've got Bibles galore. And what are we doing with them? I mean, hopefully we're reading them and studying them and, and, and knowing him, but our responsibility is more than that. See, our neighbor is without excuse. Our family that doesn't know God, they're without excuse. They will stand before God. And even if they were religious, he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. They will stand before him without excuse. This serves as a motivation to me personally. There is, there is no place where God is not known. There is no person that can say, I never knew. So this, this serves to me as, as a motivation to, to go and to tell and to, to seek out people that have never known. See, people that don't even have the opportunity to know. They, they, the deaf I mentioned in my testimony, they, they've got Bibles, they do. But they cannot read them. They cannot know God. All they know of God is what they can see. This serves as a great motivation to me, and I hope it serves as a great motivation to you. People, we've got God's word. And we know, every single one of us know people that are not saved people that are God-rejectors, or people that are just continuing blissfully in their ignorance. And they will stand before God. And what are we going to do about it? And the, the, continuing in Psalm 19, uh, in verses 7 and 8, you know, God's given us the answer. He's given us the answer right here. Uh, he's given us the tools that we need to go and to reach those. Verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul. This book is perfect. It has the power to convert souls. Any convincing speech, any emotional tug that we might think that we can do, uh, tug on heartstrings, well, that's great. That's an emotional response. But this, this has the power to convert the soul. It says so, and I believe it. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. But, but there's more. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. I was simple. Sometimes I still feel simple. But you know what? This, this can make me wise. I can know him. I, the, the more I know him, it's not my own wisdom. It's, it's him letting me uh, know him and, and understand more about him so that I can communicate that to those that don't know him. This book can make wise the simple. This has the power unto salvation. Verse 8, the statutes of the Lord, they're right. Rejoicing the heart. We live in a dark world. People don't have joy. They're seeking joy and happiness in everything but God. 
Here it is right here. It says, this, this can give us joy. It, it rejoices the heart. The commandment of the Lord, the last part there, verse 8, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. You know that little phrase, enlightening the eyes. For me, that's how I know when the deaf understand what it is that I'm preaching. I was, I was accused years ago of preaching over their heads. And I said, well, I can't just, I, I can't just give them bottled milk. All that. We've got to dig into, into the deep truth. They need to know God. They need to know his word. And so I teach. And oftentimes for me, here, here in the U.S. And, and, and in other countries of the world, it's very, very common to have a nice three-point sermon, and it's really hard for me to come back and have a nice three points and their subpoints and have everything. Uh, I don't even remember what they call that when it's like all the same letters and it's cool. I have I have one point messages down there, and so here's my point, and I attack it from this perspective, and I'm watching the eyes. You got to watch the eyes. And it's still kind of a little bit of this going on. So I attack it from this direction and this direction and this direction and explain it and explain it and explain it and explain it. And you see the enlightening in their eyes, that light bulb going on. You got it. Take that home. Meditate on it. Pray about it. Know your God. This book can enlighten the eyes enlighten the soul. God's equipped us. So we, from the text, okay, so God's made himself known. We know from Romans, all mankind will stand before him without an excuse, but he's equipped us. He's given us his word. And we know that it can convert the soul. It can rejoice the heart. It can, it, it can enlighten the eyes. It can make wise the simple. But still, we have a problem. A lot of I, I maybe you guys are much better than me. I have a problem. I think you can do it. I can do it. I got this. Okay, I can do this. But we can't do it on our own. We can't. I'll give you my three points. See, I'm real bad at this three-point thing. So verses one through six give me a motivation to go. Second point. I already moved past it. I already talked about it. I'm, I, I'm bad at this. Second point, verses 7 and 8. He's equipped us with the truth, the tool we need, the, the word of God, which is the power of salvation. Third point, yes. Verses 12 through 14, we have a kind of a little prayer there at, at the end of this psalm. And and. He's empowering us to go. He's empowering us to go. This is a prayer seeking God and his power to fill us and his spirit in, his, in, in our lives. Verses 12 through 14 says, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. That's where we got to start is on our knees in prayer. God, cleanse thou me from secret faults. God, don't let sin in my life Obstruct me from being used for you to be that light. 
Verse 13, keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Here it is. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. If we're filled by the Spirit, if we're humbling ourselves before him, seeking his face, he will make us right. He will make us the testimony that we need to be. I was, I was explaining to the deaf um, in one of the sermons, one of the Sundays prior to us leaving here and, and talking about, look, I'm gone three months. Please be faithful. Be concerned. Be worried about your testimony because the world is watching. And I said, look, it's not us. It's not our light. But it's God and God's spirit in us. We're, we're like mirrors. So I took out a flashlight and I borrowed a compact from one of the ladies in the church. And I said, you see, we're this mirror and God's that light. And as he shines his grace and glory and his spirit works in us, we then reflect that to the world. We're, we're simply mirrors of God. We're supposed to, to grow in grace and knowledge. We're supposed to, to know him, humble ourselves before him, have right lives, be, be, be free from, from that sin, that transgression, so that our words and our meditations will be acceptable to him. And if it's acceptable to him, we will be being that light that we need to be. Um, Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16 say, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We've got a motivation to go. People are without excuse. He's equipped us with the tool that we need to convert the soul, to enlighten the minds. He's, a, he's fully equipped us, but he's not just left us there. He's empowered us by his Holy Spirit. And if we live right lives before him, we can go and we can be that light and we can be that testimony for God. Back to Don Richardson. Totally at a loss. How do I communicate the gospel truth to this, this culture that is just is so, so far from being what, my, what I understand to be right and wrong, right and wrong to them, it, it, it's all relative. We have nothing in common with these people. But he knew, he knew, I mean, God, Psalm 19 says it, Romans 1 says it. He, he knew that, that God had revealed himself to, people, to these people, but he had to find that truth. What, what is it that God had shown them? How, how do they, how can they relate to creator God? And so he continued there, and he labored, and he tried to present the gospel. And these people, just that enlightening of the eye never happened. And they didn't, the, the Richardsons were kind of a protected couple. See, she was, she was uh, in the field of medicine, and so she helped them in ways that they had never been able to be helped before. He constantly brought in, I'm, I'm a gadget guy. 
I got a cool pen. I got my pocket knife. I got my flashlight. I just, I like things. Well, sounds like Don Richardson might have been one of those guys too. And so he's bringing things, these people, and uh, you know your iron tools and, and stuff. And they didn't want the Richardsons to go, but they were they were feeling lost. And they they talked to some of the tribal leaders and said, "Look, you guys, you guys just keep killing each other, and we can't." We can't keep watching this happen. We can't do it. We, we think we need to maybe go to, they were looking into possibly leaving and going to another tribe, a uh, different part of the island, and, and just starting over and trying to, they, it was breaking their heart. They were murdering each other and reveling in it. It was, it was so counterculture that they couldn't, they, they were going to distance themselves from it. This set something in motion that ultimately helped unlock the gospel to the Sawi people. See, these tribal leaders, they did not want them to go for selfish reasons, but they didn't want them to go. So they went and held a secret meeting, and they discussed uh, performing, it's more than a ritual, but a tradition uh, that had been done in their culture for generations and generations. And it was, it was something, it's what they called the, the peace child. And so they, they don't like to do this because what it is, you've got these people that, that have worked their way up the ladder and they are the highly esteemed people. They are the leaders and each leader has multiple wives and countless children and they kind of build their little communities. Um, but within their own little family structure, they do prize the children because you don't have kids. Well, then you've, you've got to do all the work. You've got to watch your back from getting stabbed literally. And so I mean, this is a big deal. Your children, are that, that they did treat as precious. So they went and they, they had this secret meeting and said, we need to do the exchange of the, the peace child. And what this was is each leader would go and find one of their children, typically a baby, and they would give it to one of their warring factions. And there would be, there would be this exchange. And so they, they had this meeting. They, got, they brought all the tribes together and the Richardsons kind of, they, 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 they met there where the Richardsons uh, were living. And so they're there and they hear all these people coming together and they're thinking, this is bad. I mean, they hear wailing and just noise and, and they're thinking either they're going to, are they going to kill us? I mean, what, what's, what's happening here? They didn't know what was going on. And next thing you know, they see these leaders and one, one guy's, rips a baby out of the arms of a mother. She starts screaming and wailing, and he bolts across this open space, and they were sticking the, holding the baby out before him, and the Richardsons were looking on in horror, thinking, oh my, we've, we thought this culture was terrible. Well, now they're taking, and they're going to slaughter babies? Why? What's happening? But the baby wasn't killed, and they watched this repeated, and they're, they're absolutely puzzled as to what in the world just happened. 
afterwards, they got together and they asked some of these people, what is, what, what just happened? And they, they explained to them about the peace child and they said, look, this is the only way we can have peace and we don't want you to go. We, we knew that we had to do the most extreme thing we could do. If that means you're staying, then, then that's what we did. We, and they explained, we give a child and they take this child and it becomes their own. As long as that child is alive, there's peace. Anything ever happens to this child, all out war again. Nothing can happen to the peace child. Everybody protects the peace child. Everybody provides for the peace child. They don't want anything to happen because while the child is alive, they don't have to watch the back. They can be at peace. And Donna Richardson saw how God had revealed himself to these people. And he studied and he prepared and he brought people together and he said, hey, do you remember that story of Judas, the betrayer? And like, yeah, Judas. And he said, Jesus Christ is God's only begotten son. And he sent him to earth as the peace child to make peace between God and man because your sin stands between you and God and you will be judged for it. But God sent his son as the peace child to make peace, to make a way unto salvation and forgiveness. Judas killed the peace child. Judas betrayed the peace child. No longer was Judas the hero but that is, in their culture, their society, that is the worst thing that could ever, the, the worst part, that just doesn't happen. Judas was not the hero. He was the worst of sorts. And they could not believe it. And, 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 and then he was able to share the rest of the gospel and say, yes, Jesus died. And by dying and shedding his blood, he paid for your sins, and ultimately the shedding of his blood made peace. But then by his own power, because he is God, he rose again. And he provides forgiveness and salvation to those that will believe on him. And this peace child is eternal. He's not going to die. He's not going to fall sick. He's not going to fall from a tree when he's trying to get some sort of fruit. He is the eternal peace child. And that seed, God had revealed himself to the Sawi people, sparked a revival in the Sawi tribe. They are no longer a headhunting tribe all these years later. God has done a work and through them has met, uh, has reached out to, to countless tribes on the Papa Island. God revealed himself to them and that's what, that's what we're all about. See, God, God's given us the tools we need. He's empowered us by his spirit. People are going to stand before him without excuse. Just like the Salvi tribe. We have the responsibility to be that light and to, to tell others. And maybe they don't understand it the first time. So we invite them again. We witness to them again. Because God revealed himself to them, and there's something within them that knows he is God. 
got what we need. He's empowered us. Let's go.